we are kicking off a month-long look at one book of the Bible. And specifically, we're going to wrestle with that question. What do we do when storms come this morning? What do we do when there's a turn in our story? And it may be a very dramatic one, one that affects our health, our life, our family. Maybe a small one. It's a, maybe a, a, a death of a dream in your life, a turn of events, end of a relationship. How you respond, not only to your circumstances when they come, but more specifically, how you respond to God in those moments reveals what it is that you really believe and reveals what it is that we really need most from God. And we're going to be using as our central text for this whole month and obviously for this morning as well, the book of James. And I love this book of the Bible. It is one of the most practical and activistic books in the Bible. Uh, It takes a concept of faith and breaks it down into um, very applicable, practical sort of challenges for every single one of us. And our hope for today that no matter what season you may find yourself in, whether it's a a difficult season, or whether you're in a season of sort of everything's sort of moving along, or you're just clueless and don't know what season it is, our prayer and hope would be that you would walk out of these walls today having heard God's truth and having a way of approaching your life and responding to God that transforms who you are and how you move through this life. How is it that we respond to those sleepless nights, those dark nights of the soul, What do we do? What is God's role in that? And what is our role in that? This is where James begins his book, his letter that we're gonna study. In fact, what I'd love for you to do is to grab a Bible. So if you brought one, you can go ahead and pull it out. Uh, And you can, uh, if you didn't, we actually have one for you. Right in front of you is the blue Bible in the seat back. Uh, And this is what's so great. So if you can grab one in this room, uh, if you're in our overflow room right now, uh, we would love to uh, get one to you as quickly as possible. If you're watching this in Starbucks, probably not a blue Bible in the seat in front of you. But if someone has one out, just steal theirs at the table next to you. Because we're going to open up to the book of James. It's found on page 847 in the blue Bible. Book of James is uh, a really unique letter written to uh, believers 2,000 years ago. You know, just a little context before we dive into the verse that Sandy shared from her story. Uh, this book of the Bible is a letter, like I said, written by a guy named James about a decade after the death and resurrection of Jesus. So it's actually one of the first books that we have, letters that we have, written as the church was beginning. About a decade or so after the death and resurrection of Jesus, it was written to uh, the church that was being greatly persecuted at that time. This is the first wave of persecution. People were being arrested, people were being beaten, people were being imprisoned, people were being killed for their faith. And James is writing a letter to them, as we'll see here in a second. Now also very uniquely about this book, more than any other book in the Bible, uh, many scholars believe, most theologians would agree that this book is written by James, the brother of Jesus. So he has a very interesting perspective on the teachings and the lifestyle and the way of Jesus. Can you imagine just for a second If your brother or sister had to write a book about you, what would that be like? And would they be reading from it in church? My brothers, my brothers would be something like, you know, Jarek cried a lot for no reason, bit me a few times and kept borrowing my clothes. And that would be the end of the book. But this is a book written by the brother of Jesus, who, as we'll see, actually didn't even recognize who Jesus fully was until after his death and resurrection. So we have a book written just about a decade after the death and resurrection of Jesus by the brother of Jesus, someone very close to who he is, and it's a book that is so um, 
is about putting your faith to work, as you're going to see again and again. And maybe, and this is our hope, uh, maybe if you've never read a book of the Bible before, this month would literally be the first time in your life that you read through a whole book of the Bible. We're not going to teach anything else for the course of this month. It's five chapters, and they, they move quickly, as you'll see. And we would love for you to read this book, for our whole church to stay in this book for the month of September. So this week, your homework, already before I even give you like today's sermon, is to read James chapter one. Can you agree to doing that? Awesome, good. I have no way to check on that. I'm just gonna trust that you will. But I think it actually has, we believe this has transformative truth for our lives and you will find yourself looking at God in your life and your faith very differently because of it. All right, let's start with James chapter one. And it's on, like I said, page 847. Listen to how James starts. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Now, what does that phrase mean? The 12 tribes scattered among the nations. That's a reference to Jewish converts who had come into following the way of Jesus, who are now the scattered there is the persecution that's beginning to happen. So what the religious establishment at that time and what even the government officials began to do was to try and uh, stop this revolution of the church. And so they began to arrest, like I said, and persecute and imprison and even kill. And what, as they put their heavy hand on the church, you know what began to happen? It began to spread all over the world. What started as a faith based out of the city of Jerusalem, the church of Jerusalem, had now spread this 10 years later, decade or so later, all throughout the world. And so James starts. He's actually a leader in the church of Jerusalem. And he starts by saying, to all the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, and then I love this, greetings. And he's about to get right into it. He is not wasting any time, as you'll see as we read this book together. Now, if you read any of the letters written by the Apostle Paul, lots of times the first three or four verses are greetings from your great servant, the Apostle Paul. Uh, and he starts giving shout outs to all his friends. And he's giving sort of lots of make sure that you say this to so-and-so. And he kind of spends a couple of verses. Not James. Greetings. Now let's get to work. And he goes right into, as we'll see in, ver- uh, in verse 2. Let's jump to James 1, verse 2. He says this. This is how he starts his letter. Consider it pure joy. You just hold that word in your head for a second. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing, you know this, the testing of your faith produces what? Good. Now, if I didn't have it on the screens and you didn't have it in front of you, that would be an acceptable response to that pause. But what I'm going to do is read it again and let you speak that word back in, because it's a very important word for us. So let me say that again. He says this, because you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Perseverance. That's a very important word. Underline that in your Bible. Again, we say this every week. If you don't own a Bible, the blue Bible you're holding right now is yours. So you can write in it, draw in it. You can steal it today. You can steal a Bible from church. This is that important for us. So please, take notes. Keep, uh, we're going to keep on moving through here. James says, consider it joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because the testing of your faith produces what? Perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Mature and complete, transformed, not lacking anything, grown up. It's an interesting place for James to start. He just starts by naming the elephant in the room. He says, this is, this is a letter from James. Greetings. Life is hard. Life is tough. Life is difficult. We know this all too well, don't we? Life can be hard. There are turns 
in the road. There are dreams that end. There are relationships that move on. Life can be hard. James knows this personally as each of us do. At some point, as best we understand, the loss of his father, Joseph. James knows he watched as his brother became fully and and grew into full maturity into who God had created him to be and sent him into this world to be the savior of the world. And James had to watch as the savior of the world became the savior of his world. But he had to watch his brother be crucified, raised by God from the dead, but then ascend into heaven and leave him and others behind to do the work of God here on earth. He knew what loss was personally, and he knew what it was for the church at that time, which suffered great adversity and persecution. James just starts by naming the obvious. There are going to be trials. It's not if there are trials, but whenever, as you face trials, you can count it as joy. Where did he get this idea from? Where, why, would you start, where would he, why would you start with that concept? Maybe, Maybe it was the words of his brother Jesus echoing through his head and through his heart. When Jesus said in John 16, preparing his disciples for when he would go, Jesus said these words, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace because in this world you will have what? Trouble. Trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Look at that. I've told you all this. I've prepared you for this because, look, the reality is I want you, it is possible. You may have peace because I have, I have. Look, you will have trouble. I have overcome. You see what's happening there? In this world, you will have trouble. You can count on that. But in that trouble, you may have peace. Why? Because I have overcome. You can count on it. And so here we have James, the brother of Jesus, echoing the teachings and the words of Jesus, some 10 Years later, there is pain, there are trials, but in that you can have joy, in that you can have peace. And peace is so often (laughs) the last thing we want when troubles come. When troubles come, when the hard turns come in our story, you know what we want? We don't want peace, we want to pass. Thank you, God, very much. No thank you, though. Let that go somewhere else, God. I appreciate the concept of peace. I just want a pass on pain forever, if that's okay. That's what we really want if we're really being honest. But the truth is, as James says, as Jesus taught, you're gonna have trials, you're gonna have troubles, but it's possible in that to have joy and peace, even in the difficulty, even in the darkest storms, even at rock bottom, there's a peace and a joy that can be yours. Last fall, uh, our son Elijah uh, really wanted to learn to ride his bike with no training wheels. So we've been practicing all summer and trying to get you know, the training wheel thing like off, and he's very, very confident and very, very stubborn. Uh, he's very much like his mother, and so we... Um, <laughs> So he would tell me every time, he'd go, Dad, I'm ready, Dad, I'm ready. Take the wheels off, I'm ready. Take them off, Dad, take them off, I'm ready. I'm like, are you sure? I'm ready, Dad, I'm ready. All right, all right. So I'd get the wrench, take the training wheels off, put them down. He'd get on his bike, he's like, Dad, just put him back on for today. Just put him back on for today. Just one more day, Dad. I just want, I'm like, all right, so put him back on. And so we'd kind of worked all summer and just 
wouldn't do it. So finally, it was towards the end of the summer, moving into fall, I just had to know, like, I can't put the training wheels back on him today. I'm like, son, I'm, I'm going to keep him off. And he's like, I don't, I, Dad, I'm not, I don't know if I'm ready. I'm like, you got to try. And so what he did to prepare himself, he's like, Dad, can we just watch a video on it? And so we, li- <laughs> we, live, in a U- we live in a YouTube culture. So I'm like, I get it, son. Let's, so let's go. But the problem was the things I showed him on YouTube were all from the X Games. And so I'm like... I don't think the triple backflip is going to help you, son, but if that gets you fired up. And so what it took was a couple weeks there of a really painful process. Those of you who are parents who kind of had to walk your kids through this, or if you still have mental and emotional scars from when you had to learn how to do this, you know it's rough. And there were times where he would fall, and he would give me a look as though I were the one who created the asphalt. (laughs) I shot BBs at his tires. Like, I mean, the look of betrayal every time he'd fall. Like, you did this to me. And I just knew, like, oh, this, this is gonna, there's going to be pain. There's going to be scraped knees. There's going to be bruises. But that pain is the only thing that's actually going to help him learn how to actually do this. You can't learn that without falling. And so he learned last fall how to ride a bike without training wheels. And it was a really big deal. So this summer, when it starts getting warm around and all that kind of stuff, he comes back. He's like, Dad, let's build a ramp. I'm like, that's my boy. So we built a ramp for our house. We have a little bike ramp. Now, what I should tell you is it's only four inches tall. So it's barely as high as a sidewalk, but we're starting there. And so uh, I've showed him some videos of how to do that now too. The reality is there's going to be pain in life. And sometimes pain is our, the only thing that can get our attention and turn our eyes towards God. Sometimes it's only when things go off the rails, or we hit a wall that we're willing to humble ourselves and come knocking at God's door. In fact, it may even be why you're here this weekend or why you're watching online. It's because things have just hit the walls. You've fallen, the training wheels are off, and you feel like you're on your own, and you don't know where else to turn. Pain has an amazing way of getting our attention. This is what C.S. Lewis said some 60 years ago. He said these words, God whispers to us in our pleasures, whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It's as though pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. There's something about our pain that gets our attention, and there are times that God uses and allows our pain to be the very catalytic event that turns our eyes and our hearts towards him. It's as though we can't even fully, truly open our eyes until they're filled with tears. We've all had those seasons. If you're not in that season right now, praise God, you will be. And you probably know someone who is in one right now. Pain has an amazing way of getting our attention, and God has an amazing way of using our pain. It's only after the breakup or after the breakdown of a marriage Someone says, okay, I'll start to pay attention to these things that I keep hearing from this person. It's only after the loss of a job or the continued loss of income that someone says, okay, all right, maybe, maybe I'll start to pray. I'll start to read my Bible again. It's only after addiction has robbed us of everything that once mattered to us that we're willing to get on our knees and say, okay, God, okay, okay, what do you have for me in this? You know, Barna Group did a study of response to pain, specifically after 9-11. Over a decade ago, when our country faced a great tragedy, a great loss, in the months that came after 9-11, 
church attendance rose anywhere from 10% to 25% in our country. People came back to church and came back to God and brought their big questions and brought their deepest pain. And what was amazing is if you read the study, the full report that they did, by January of 2002, numbers were not only back to where they were at church, but lower than they were before. Pain has a way of getting our attention, and God has a way of leveraging our pain for our growth. Now, God may not be the the cause of your pain, but he can always be the cause of your growth, always. Now, I'm just a little pause here because I think what happens is this is where things start to go off the rails for us if we don't know how to ask the right questions and how to approach God in the midst of our pain. God may not be the cause of your pain. There always is a cause to our pain, and it's sort of on a bigger level that we have to understand in the story of God and the story that we find ourselves in. God's original intention for us is is found in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, that we would be in relationship with God with no separation between us. I mean, it may seem a little silly if you've read Genesis 1 and 2 that Adam and Eve are kind of walking around naked. It may seem cool to you, but what it represents is there was nothing hiding. There was nothing in between them. No separation, no shame, no guilt, no sin. But when sin entered into our story, it had a cataclysmic effect that has affected all of humanity, so much so that sin has broken our human condition and caused a separation between us and God. This is the Old Testament. It is a study of separation between us and God and how sin has separated us. And so that's why it's so important to understand who Jesus is and what he's come to do, not only on a sort of meta-biblical level, but on a personal level. He has come to bridge the gap that our sin has caused, the separation that our sin has caused. Okay, so you kind of understand there is a broken human condition because of the effects of sin entering into our story. And because of the effect of sin in our story, there is pain that God never intended. There's loss, death, heartache that God never intended for us to have with him. But when we chose our ways over his ways, this is what came with that deal. And so on a very real but a very meta level, God is not the cause of our pain. It is this greater effect of sin in the world that we can always trace our pain back to. It doesn't mean that your sin is what caused your pain or that his sin caused our pain. It's the greater effect of sin in our world that our pain always finds its root in. But what's amazing is God has overcome sin. God has overcome sin. Sin is not more powerful than God. And so God has overpowered sin, but that doesn't mean that there's not the presence of sin in our world. Does that make sense? Sin does not get the final say, but sin is still here in our story. And so because of that, there's pain, there's loss, there's dark seasons and dark storms. But God is so good that he can even leverage our brokenness and sin for his good and his glory. And in the midst of that, in our trials, actually give us something greater than we could ever come up with on our own. Let's go back to James 1, 2 through 4. Look at what James is saying here. Consider it joy, brothers and sisters, when you face trials. When you, not if, when you face trials, 
of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces, what's the word again? Perseverance. Perseverance. That there is a gift that can come even in the midst of our trial and in the midst of our pain that only God can give us. It grows. That grows in us. And it actually is an interesting choice of words because what it doesn't say here is that you know, count it all joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces immunity to sin. Doesn't say that. Doesn't say invincibility. Doesn't say that. It says perseverance. You know what that word means? It means that more pain is coming. That's what that word means. It means that this is a trial, but there's gonna be another trial. And so the greater gift that God gives for us is not a way out, but a way through with him. Consider it joy because God wants to grow something in you for when the next trial comes, when the next storm hits, so that when it does, you will be mature, not lacking anything. You will have a perspective that is rooted in God and graced by his love. That's the gift that God gives to us, perseverance, the ability to thrive in adversity, to grow in the face of death. What kind of God is this? What we want is a, a God to just sort of get us out. And if that weren't so, then we wouldn't pray it so. Honestly, if I'm being really honest and you listen to the way I pray for my kids so often, I pray that God protects them from any pain or any loss or any suffering in their life ever. Because I love them and I want to protect them and I do it for myself too. God, if you would just kind of help me through this and make it as painless as possible. If you really boil down my prayers so many times, that's what's at the root of them. I want to sort of have God get me sort of out of any difficult situations so that I can just sort of move on. And Christians, especially Christians, they, well-meaning Christians, have we, have we have language around this. We have, we, anytime someone like, we are traveling this summer and so someone said, you know, I'm going to pray for traveling mercies for you. And I appreciated that. I had no idea what that means. <laughs> I don't know if it means that the GPS works the whole way or like God doesn't give me any tickets. Like, and I'm like, thank you so much. Or I've, I've had people, not recently, but I've had people pray for a hedge of protection around me before. And I appreciate that. I understand the language comes from the Bible, but the imagery of me walking around wrapped in shrubbery is not necessarily <laughs> an image of strength for me to get through the difficult seasons of life. We have a God who doesn't get us out, but gets us through by giving us the gift of perseverance, which only grows in the soil of pain and trial and difficult seasons and difficult storms. God has a way of transforming your darkest hours into some of your greatest growth. And if you have seen God do that, can I hear you say amen? amen. He can take your darkest hour and sometimes it seems like it's only through our darkest hours that he works some of our greatest growth. Now, we don't want to hear that at the time. That's only through hindsight that we look back and go, wow, God, look at what you did. In the moment, it doesn't always seem that way. In the moment, what we want is a pass. In the moment, what we want is a way out, not a way through. But God is doing something far greater in our darkest seasons and hours than we could ever possibly imagine. God wants to give you the gift of perseverance because storms will come. And I saw this and have seen this time and again. And it is, it is only in hindsight that it has become so clear to me that God is working a better story than I ever could. But specifically, uh, in a couple days, um, 
will remember it'll be eight years since the passing of Jeannie's father. And he died quite suddenly. Uh, he died while running a race. And it was a shock to us. He was in fantastic health. He was in great shape. And so his death came quite suddenly to us and quite personally to me. Uh, he was very much, in every way, a father to me as much as my dad was to me. A fantastic father-in-law who took me in and was able to teach me things that my dad just never knew and couldn't do. And so together, I would, we would change the oil in his car. And I didn't like doing that. And I didn't want to do that. But like that's, he taught me how to do it. So after church, I could do that for you if you wanted me to. <laughs> I could do that for you. We are a full service church here. He taught me how to build. And so together, we built out a basement in the first little house that we owned. We built out a basement together, me and him down there. Mostly, I would say, show me that again, Pops, because I called him Pops. So I'd have him do most of the work, but I'd watch and go, that's good, that's good. And so, and then the whole time, Jeannie was just telling us what to do. Um, <laughs> it's okay. It's a very real uh, and close relationship that he and I had together. I had, uh, Jeannie grew up in Wheaton, and so... Uh, I had a class, I was, I was just finishing up all the sort of the training and, and, and Bible, you know, college stuff, and, and so I still had a, a, a night class that I had to take, and it was actually down in Wheaton, and so I'd go down after work to their place, and I was supposed to grab a little dinner and then head over to class, but almost every single Monday and Wednesday night, Bill would go, you really have to go tonight, you know the stuff, don't you? And I'd be like, well, maybe, I probably should, he's like what if I ordered a pizza? <laughs> and so he'd order up some Malnati's and we'd get it and bring it back and we would watch wrestling <laughs> from seven o'clock till nine or 10 o'clock. And I missed about half of that semester because I was watching Monday Night Wrestling with my father-in-law and it was a far better investment. <laughs> I had a great relationship with him and so his death came as a shock to me as much as it to, to Jeannie's family in much deeper ways, obviously, for them. And to have to be the one to tell your wife that her hero has died. You know. For those of you, you know. If you've lost a, a parent, you lost someone close to you, that dark season starts in an instant. That storm comes with no warning. And to have to sort of find our way through a life without him, and when there are so many wonderful gifts and blessings and reminders of him all throughout our lives. In fact, this uh, is his tie that I wear all the time. And it's just a small little reminder of him in my life week to week. We've all had those seasons. And what I found myself saying when that storm hit for us, for me, was a question that's very understandable. And in fact, it's inevitable. And the question is, why? 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 Why this, God? Why him? Why us? Why now? Why, God, why? Why would you allow this to happen? Why would this happen to us? Why, God? It's an understandable question, and it's one that I banged my head against the wall, and I said through gritted teeth with fists clenched towards God, and it's a question I asked on my knees broken. God, why, why, why? Why a year before our son was born? Why? 
And for those of us who've asked that question, you know it's, it's inevitable, it's understandable. But in the midst of that difficult season, I began to notice God was giving me a better question. It's as though he were working something and growing something in me through my pain. And the question wasn't simply just why, but what? And instead of asking God, why would you do this to me? The question became, God, what could you do through this in me? God, I get that sin and death, this is not part of your plan. God, I get that the sort of cataclysmic event over all of humanity that sin has brought with it has brought with it death and loss and suffering that breaks your heart too, God. So instead of getting stuck at the inevitable question of why, God led me to a better question of what. God, what, what could you do through this in me? Not a season I would have chosen. Not a season I would love to repeat and go through but a season where God could grow something in me, maybe unlike any other season in my life. God, what could you do through this in me? I think it's a better question. It's the type of question that leads to the type of growth that James kicks off this book with. This is the kind of question that leads to perseverance, which causes us to grow and mature and be complete, not lacking anything. So when the breakup comes... As hard as it is, and as much as you thought that relationship was going to go all the way, through your tears, at the right time, God, what could you do through this in me? God, how could you leverage this pain for me to grow, to get my attention? When the dream changes, the way you thought it would be is not the way that it is, and you're alone or it's harder than you ever imagined, or you feel backed into a corner, or you don't know which way out, could it be that there's a better question that God has for you? God, what could you do through this in me? This last week, it just hit one of those kind of challenges at work, and I work here. Uh, (laughs) And we just kind of hit a wall where it's like, okay, that is not what we planned, okay? Okay? going to have to make some major adjustments, going to have to change some things around, blah, 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 blah. And I find myself kind of going into solution mode, knowing where we were going in this scripture this week. I said, wait a second, God, wait a second. I could try and just solve this problem or have you sort of get me out of this problem. Or I could allow you to grow in me something deeper, a faith that actually weathers this and leads me through it better. God, what could you do through this in me that maybe when everything is going great and everything is nice and comfortable and fine, I might not have otherwise grow. God, what could you do through this in me? And as I began to ask that question again, not wanting in any way to lose my father-in-law, to lose this hero in our family, but as the dust began to settle, I began to go, okay, wait a second, God. What is it that you could grow in me through this great loss that I would have never chosen myself? I began to see that God was growing in me a deeper relationship with him as my heavenly father that God was breaking in me a myth that I had that his job was to protect me from pain in this world. God was growing in me an awareness that he has never left me or abandoned me or forsaken me for a second. 
and that his heart breaks when my heart breaks. I began to see that what God was growing in me was a compassion and a grace to be with those who are suffering, to not give answers or advice, but to just be with. So God was growing something in me that would not have grown if he would have just taken me out of it. Does that make sense? And so this week, you may find yourself in one of those seasons where it's like, yeah, it is the hardest season of my life, or it's the hardest season I've had in a while. And so maybe the prayer for you this week is that question, God, what could you do through this in me? What do you want to grow in me, God? Could it be a perseverance? Could it be a faith, God, that is rooted in reality, not in some fairy tale of you protecting me from difficult things in this world? What, what might it look like for you this week? And maybe, just maybe, there are those of us who are here who are walking through a difficult season or you're coming out of a difficult season and you don't have a relationship with that God that loves you and has created you for a relationship with him and you are actually having to weather this storm on your own and it's taken all you can muster and you are at the end of your rope. Maybe the thing that God wants to draw your attention to is him. And if he has to use this tough season, this difficult season, to get your attention through the megaphone of pain, then maybe today you turn and say, okay, you got it. You got me. And today is the day, even in the middle of your darkest hour, where you begin a relationship with God that changes your life, that saves your life. It doesn't make hard and difficult things go away, but gives you a way to walk through them with your creator God. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, this season of darkness and difficulty has the potential for the brightest hope and light and life imaginable in a relationship with God. And so what I'd love to do is invite our band up. We're gonna spend a few moments receiving communion here. It's something we do regularly because we need to be reminded, and Jesus knew this, we need to be reminded of who he is and what life is like with him in relationship with him. Jesus knew that when storms come and when things are difficult, when trials come, we forget everything and we throw everything out the window. And so we have a reminder that we've been celebrating as a church for 2,000 years. It's the body and the blood of Christ. And the night that he was betrayed, that Jesus himself suffered trials, suffered dark and difficult circumstances. On the night he was betrayed, he brought his disciples together and he said, I want you to remember something because it's going to get difficult and you're going to call into question a lot of things. I want you to remember something. This is my body broken for you, that God actually came to you into your story. God came to you in physical form through Jesus Christ. God made a way, and this body represents that. And then he took wine, he poured it into a cup, and he said, this is my blood. This is my blood poured out for you, the only perfect and pure, sinless blood to ever flow through human veins. He said, I make it freely available to you to cover, to wash over your sin, and to make a way for us to have a relationship with God. Jesus said, you need to remember this, because when storms come, you will forget. And so in a minute, 
we're going to celebrate that together. But I don't want to miss the opportunity to say to any one of us who are gathered here, who are watching online, or sitting in overflow right now, look, if you are walking through this season in this life outside of a relationship with God, we would love for you to know that you can start a relationship with God today. You don't have to wait. You don't have to wait till everything sort of gets calmed down in your life or till you get things worked out. Maybe now, today, is the day, even in your darkest hour, where you can call out to God and receive the life that he has for you and walk through this life with him. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to ask if you would just, if you'd close your eyes and you'd kind of bow your head down just so you can reflect on your own life and in this season that you find yourself in, whatever it may be, to ask yourself the deeper question, God, what could you do through this season through this turn in my story that might not happen otherwise. And what I'm going to do here in a second is I'm going to pray. And if you want to begin a relationship with Jesus today, listen to me. All you have to do is look up to me. We make eye contact. I'm going to lead you through a prayer. I'm even going to give you the words so you can make them your own and pray. And today may be the day that you begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. We would love to help you take that first step. And so in a minute, if that's you, I would ask that you would look up and make eye contact with me. I'll look, we'll nod, and then I would love to talk with you and our team would love to talk with you afterwards to help you begin to walk through this brand new life that you can have with Jesus. So with eyes closed and heads bowed, I wanna pray for us before we receive communion and before some of us receive the greatest gift of our lives, a relationship with God our Father. God, thank you that you have made a way, that you have made a way to carry us through. God, I actually thank you that you don't take us out of the difficult seasons of our life, but you walk with us through them. You not only carry us, God, but you grow us. You're not only with us, God, but you are for us. That we would be mature and complete, not lacking anything in our relationship with you. That we would not be naive into thinking, God, that your job is to keep us from difficult things in life. But God, that you actually can use the difficult things in our life to grow something deeper in us than we might not ever see otherwise in our life. And so God, I pray specifically right now for those who are walking through a difficult season or storm outside of a relationship with you. God, I pray that they would make these words their own words. Thank you, Jesus, that you have come. Thank you, Jesus, that you have suffered Thank you, Jesus, that you face trials and have overcome. Thank you, Jesus, that you made a way to cover my sin. I confess I have sinned and I need you. And I choose this day, maybe even in my deepest, darkest hour, to begin a relationship with you. God, I know, I know how hard life can be when we walk through it with you. God, it is, impo- it is almost impossible to imagine walking through this life without a relationship with you where we have access to your love, your hope, your peace, your joy, your salvation, your grace. And if you have prayed that prayer today to begin a relationship with Jesus, Will you just look up at me right now so I know, so we can talk afterwards to know that you have now literally entered into a new life with him?
that you do not have to walk alone, that you were not made to walk alone. Good. Okay, we thank you for new life and we thank you for renewed life. And we pray, God, as we receive your body and your blood, as we remember you, Jesus, that we would not forget the lengths to which you have made yourself available to us. So now we make ourselves available to you. We confess and call out our sin to you. We choose and accept you as our Lord and Savior. And we celebrate the fact that life has come. And even in our pain, even in dark hours, we have the strength and courage to lift our heads and lift our hands to you. So that is what we choose to do now. In your name, amen. So for the next few moments, we're gonna spend some time reflecting and receiving communion. And you can just come up and tear off a piece and dip it in the cup. Over here to your left, we have gluten-free bread. We don't want anything to keep anyone from experiencing this moment right now. So if you need that, you can do that. We would ask that you would use this time to reflect and to remember and to allow yourself to be renewed by God and his love.